0: Taiwan is ending a 10-year-long ban on food imports from Fukushima, Japan, the site of a nuclear meltdown in 2011.
1: Stash speaks with nuclear energy professor Lee Min to better understand the science behind the decision.
0: Then, Emma will tell you about Taiwan's Lantern Festival, which is taking place all February in Kaohsiung City.
1: And in Hashtag Taiwan, Leslie Liao tells you about Taiwan at the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics. This is Taiwan Insider.
2: Welcome to today's show. This week, Taiwan lifted a decade-long ban on food imports from Japan's Fukushima area. Taiwan banned the foods in 2011 for food safety concerns after an earthquake and tsunami triggered a meltdown at a nearby nuclear plant. Taiwan officials say their decision to lift the ban is based on science and is in line with international standards.
1: Taiwan and Japan have a friendly relationship when it comes to admiring each other's tourist attractions and delicious cuisine. However, the issue of importing food from Japanese regions affected by the Fukushima nuclear disaster has caused friction between the two countries over the past decade. Taiwan's decision to lift the ban on Fukushima imports is the result of years of research conducted by experts around the world. Inspections led by the National Taiwan University College of Medicine have concluded that any traces of nuclear radiation are negligible and there's no cause for alarm. According to international standards, a person's annual exposure to radiation should not exceed one millisievert. NTU research concluded that people would be exposed to less than three one-thousandths of that from these Japanese food imports. NTU professor Jiang Zhigang says that the chances of contracting cancer from this amount of radiation exposure is one in 10 million. On the other hand, Taipei Changgong Hospital's Clinical Poison Center director, Yen Zhonghai says that he's still concerned about radioactive residue from these food imports. He said that the half-life of various radioactive substances can be up to 30 years, and only 11 years have passed since the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Some say that any products that contain food from these radiation-affected areas should be clearly labeled for consumers. Only time will tell whether Taiwan shoppers will be willing to purchase these items or leave them untouched on the shelves.
2: Now, Taiwan's cabinet says that the ban lift is conditional. Food imports from the region will be subject to strict inspection, and items like mushrooms, wild bird meat, and other vegetables will remain prohibited. Stash Butler spoke with nuclear science expert Professor Li Min to get a clearer picture of the science behind the decision.
3: You you need to do some measurement to make sure how much uh, radionuclei is left in the food. It must be below so-called uh, maximum minimal concentration set up in the regulation before the food can be shipped to the market. So you can do that very easily. It's kind of a standard procedure. In making those measurements, how many
0: of these products do you think uh, are below that limit? I mean, how are we expecting to see lots of these products, you know, not not meeting this limit? I I don't have a number
3: exactly to quote, but in my impression is uh, there's not a lot of fish with uh, radio contamination above the regulatory limit, but you
0: still need to check it before you put the fish on the market. And with these kinds of, you know, checking it's below this concentration, what what kind of testing uh, are these
3: well, going Well, it's on? not a testing. It's a, you, you you just use, use the, uh, the radiation detector, you know, make the measurement. It's pretty easy. As long as you have a proper instrument, you can measure it
0: directly. According to the government itself, 55 countries had controls on food imports from Japan following the uh, Fukushima disaster. But till this week, only Taiwan and China still had a complete ban on food products from the region. Is, in your view, is Taiwan lagging behind other countries on this issue? Yes.
3: No, in the last December, we have a popular referendum on the, on the, on the commercial operation of the fourth nuclear power plant. So I'm kind of against government policy. Now government another you know, uh, make an announcement going to import the food from the Fukushima area. Do I against it? No, I don't think so. Because I am a scientist, I'm an engineer. I have to make sure my point of view is scientific based. Okay? Based on the scientific evidence, the risk of importing the food from Fukushima is extremely low. We don't need to worry about it.
0: Now, the government says lifting the ban will boost Taiwan's chances of joining a regional free trade pact, the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP for short. Now, right now, the CPTPP has 11 signatories, shown here in light and dark green. They include Japan, Canada, Australia and Mexico, among others. Taiwan applied to join in September, just a week after China put in its own application. Crucially for Taiwan, Japan has the largest economy of the current members and Japan is also the chair of the CPTPP's commission. Taiwanese authorities hope lifting the Fukushima import ban will remove any lingering bad feelings from Japan towards Taiwan, making it easier to join the trade agreement. But Taiwan still needs all 11 signatories to support its application before it can join. And the whole process can take years. So don't expect a neat resolution to this story anytime soon. Up next, Leslie Liao has all the latest on Taiwan at the Winter Olympics in hashtag Taiwan.
2: It might seem like we just got out of one Olympic Games, but guess what? It's time for another. The 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics kicked off on February 4th and it's scheduled to go until February 20th. Given the current political situation, you might think that Taiwan isn't participating in the Winter Olympics in China, or you might think that Taiwan's not participating because it's a subtropical country where snow is treated like a tourist attraction. But the reality is, yes, Taiwan is participating in Beijing 2022. And if you're wondering how, well, just remember that the Caribbean country Jamaica also has a bobsledding team. Taiwan sent four athletes to compete in three sports, two in alpine skiing, one in luge, and one in speed skating. The speed skater, 33-year-old Huang Yuting, got into some trouble on social media last Thursday on the eve of the Winter Olympics. She uploaded training footage of herself wearing the uniform of the Chinese team. If you're a longtime watcher of this show, I don't have to tell you why that's a problem. China claims Taiwan as part of its territory, and it threatens Taiwan with military force regularly. So, a Team Taiwan member wearing a Chinese uniform kind of sends the wrong message. In response to criticisms, Huang said that politics and sports should be kept separate. She said there are no borders in athletics. However, Huang is one of Team Taiwan's flag bearers at Beijing 2022. So some people, like Taiwanese legislator Xu Zijie, think Huang should have been a little more sensitive when representing the country. Some people were so upset with Huang that they hurled eggs at her picture, which I really don't think is necessary. I mean, there's an egg shortage in Taiwan right now. Come on, man. Now, let's fast forward to the opening ceremony. Last year at the Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympics, we talked about how Japanese national broadcaster NHK called Team Taiwan, Taiwan and not Chinese Taipei, the team's official designation at the Olympic Games. Now, if you don't get why that's a big deal, I'm going to leave a link in the description box below to the episode of Hashtag Taiwan that explains why that was a big deal. NHK did the same thing during the Beijing opening ceremony, so it's pretty neat that they're staying consistent. During the opening ceremony, a large group of children holding dove-shaped lanterns gathered on stage. One of the children went astray and another had to lead them back into the group. Some users on Chinese social media believed that unruly child and their subsequent return to be a metaphor for Taiwan. Like, Taiwan is the unruly kid who went astray and it will inevitably be returned to China's fold, which, hey man, whatever you say. I don't know what to make of that display because I'm still impressed with the fact that Taiwan, with this tropical heat and climate and its humidity, somehow managed to send athletes to the Winter Olympics.
1: Taiwan is coming out of a nine-day Lunar New Year break. But celebrations aren't over just yet. The Taiwan Tourism Bureau is holding its 2022 Lantern Festival in Kaohsiung, and it's taking place the entire month.
2: The 15th day of the first month on the lunar calendar marks the Lantern Festival. But this year, Taiwan's Tourism Bureau will celebrate the holiday for an entire month. The 2022 Taiwan Lantern Festival is taking place in Kaohsiung City between February 1st and February 28th. There are magnificent light shows and impressive sculptures, but one of this year's main draws is a giant, transparent, inflatable person lying on their back in the middle of a grass field. This installation, titled Aerial Being, is on display starting at 3pm every day of the Lantern Festival, and people lie down next to it just to take a load off. The artwork is the brainchild of Japanese artist Yasuhiro Suzuki. It weighs a staggering 200 kilograms and measures 25 meters in length. The deputy head of Kaohsiung Tourism Bureau says it takes an hour to inflate the sculpture each day. As Taiwan goes back to work after the nine-day Lunar New Year break, this giant supine person might be a good reminder to take a break even in the busiest of times.
1: This is the first time in 20 years that Kaohsiung is hosting the Lantern Festival. Besides the inflatable aerial being installation, crowds were also won over by the festival's centerpiece, a giant phoenix soaring above a mountaintop and clouds next to a map of Taiwan. In a nod to the new zodiac for the Lunar New Year, the Tourism Bureau is also handing out little tiger lanterns to children at the festival. This year's festival is certainly a beautiful fusion of old traditions and modern technology. And before I go and join my co-hosts, Let's take a look at the other stories that are on our radar this week.
4: A delegation from the de facto independent African state of Somaliland arrived in Taiwan on Tuesday at the invitation of Taiwan's Foreign Ministry. The group is led by Somaliland's Foreign Minister Isa Kaid and includes a number of other high-ranking officials. While in Taiwan, Kaid met with President Tsai Ing-wen and Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, among others. During the visit, the two sides discussed Taiwanese investments in and trade with Somaliland. The delegation will remain in Taiwan until Saturday. Travelers arriving in Taiwan currently face a 14-day quarantine followed by a week of health self-management. However, there are reports that Taiwanese health authorities are considering shortening the quarantine period to 10 days. Authorities will also relax business visa requirements. Health Minister Chen Shizong has hinted that those changes might happen as soon as the end of February, but he hasn't given any official confirmation. The government says any adjustments will be based on scientific evidence and availability of resources. Taiwan has been experiencing a severe shortage of eggs since January. Some industry experts are calling it the most severe egg shortage in decades. They say a number of factors have contributed to the situation, increasing costs of feed and logistics, cold weather, recent outbreaks of avian flu, and government freeze on retail prices. On Monday, in response to the shortage, the government announced new subsidies to egg production, an increase in egg imports from Japan, Australia and the US, and lower tariffs on imported chicken feed.
2: back in the studio and i'm joined by my co-hosts emma and stash and uh, stash would like me to reassure you that there has been no coup and natalie's just taking a day off but uh for our final question of the week today i'm going to be asking my co-hosts how they spent their nine day lunar new year break emma told you we just came out of a very nice long break and we all went somewhere nice and enjoyed it so stash show me a picture of your break that sums it up or the best part of your break, whatever it was.
0: All right, well, take a look at this. This is the dining table at my friend's house uh, on Lunar Year's Eve. So much food on offer. It was,
2: yeah, kind of quite overwhelming. There's really. like a bunch of, you went to Elon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and There's yeah, a yeah. plate of duck there, and duck is like their specialty yeah, there. Yeah, there was
0: lots of duck on offer, lots of veg, lots of, honestly, every meat, everything you could think what of. What was your was favorite
1: there? thing you had? <sighs>
0: That's a good question. There was, um, I think it was actually the duck. There was, uh-huh. the duck The duck stuff was really, really nice in the kind of, you know, pancake.
2: All right, Emma, show us uh, your picture from over the lunar year break. Okay, so...
1: Here it is. I went to Sialiocho with a that. bunch of friends over break, which was great. The weather was awesome, as you can see. Nice clear skies, and one of my favorite things that we did was we went kayaking in these really cool kayaks I'd never been in before. They were completely transparent, so you could look down, see uh, the water, see the beautiful fish and say, the like, coral. I could you, yeah, could could you, you see, see stuff? Like, You had to kind of press your face like that, <laughs> which was only if you were really flexible <laughs> was possible. And we couldn't see any sea turtles while we were doing that because they tend to stay away from the boats, but we saw some from a distance, which was, was it, really cool. Was
0: it kind of scary? Because, like, you know, like sometimes I get a bit freaked out in water when I realize like how deep it is. Did you have any kind of like... Was it was there anything kind of weird about doing?
1: That? Um, I was fine, but I had a friend who ate like a manto right before, oh. and he said it didn't really sit that well in his <laughs>
2: stomach. Then, mantos are pretty innocuous; like they're they're pretty hungry. Yeah, exactly. Food, it's man. pretty much benign. a <laughs> benign food you can eat. But. Uh, anyway, this is my picture from the Lunar New Year break, and uh, I, for the last two days of the break, I went camping up in the mountains. Um, It's not exactly camping. It's like glamping. Glamping, (laughs) nice. That's quite a Taiwanese thing, though. I feel like
0: you know, like like you're like, oh, I went camping. It's like, oh, the air conditioning wasn't good. Yeah, what? (laughs) There was an air conditioner in the tent. (laughs) That's like boggled my mind. (laughs) But
2: it was a beautiful way to spend uh, the last few days of the Lunar New Year break. The air up there is so nice and crisp Compared to Taichung, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, a little cold up there But it was it was really, really nice Really great experience Pretty yeah, good Did
1: you get to see the sunrise or the sunset? While you no, were
2: there? cloudy cloudy. Uh, uh, you wanted to uh, see the sunset um, And then like it was just, it was all clouds yeah. I was just like, oh, we're not seeing anything Oh, wow, fair enough Anyway, that's about all the time we have for this week's show For Taiwan Insider, I'm Leslie Liao I'm Stash Butler And I'm Emma Banak You can uh, follow us on social media
1: Yeah, we're on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all the major media platforms.
2: And when you check us out on there, don't be afraid to send us a message. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Anyway, guys, until next week, we'll see you around.
4: You are listening to Radio Taiwan International. Visit us on our website at en.rti.org.tw and on YouTube at youtube.com slash rtienglish.
1: Looking for some new Taiwanese tunes to check out? Have a listen to the song, Wee" by Gao Wu Ren, also known as Accuse 5.
5: 变了烂醉的时候
2: With Natalie
6: As China takes on Lithuania through trade sanctions, the EU is taking on China at the World Trade Organization. They recently filed a case against China for its discriminatory trade practices against Lithuania. Now, Ever since Lithuania welcomed a Taiwanese representative office to its capital, China has enacted trade sanctions against Lithuania. China also has escalated this economic coercion by threatening companies from other European countries that source parts from Lithuania. The European Union has united against this economic coercion at the WTO. And today I speak with EU-China expert Dr. Zhu Jia Frenzi, who is a former political advisor at the European Parliament and who is currently based in Taiwan as a guest lecturer at National Donghua University. I asked her, how do you think China will react to the EU's case against it at the WTO?
7: Well, I expect China to not back down and to continue its escalation. We saw that China, after Lithuania decided to move out of the 17 plus 1 platform or cooperation framework and to decided to expand ties with Taiwan, first the response was diplomatic response, uh, using diplomatic tools, and then escalating that to economic coercion, and then going beyond even Lithuania, but targeting the the integrity of the single market of the EU. So this escalation is continuing, and I expect this to continue. We saw that after Lithuania, when Slovenia's Prime Minister also had uh, Taiwan-friendly words and message of support and interest in expanding ties with Slovenia. We've had uh, information that Beijing had already went against Slovenian companies and started to use a similar tactic language to send threats to Slovenia that if it goes down a similar path, then there will be consequences. So I think the further the EU goes, the further china will go however i think if we have practical and concrete response then this cannot escalate forever there will be consequences for china and as i said the response from the european union has to be both on the economic front and politically on the level of of the messages and the communication that we send towards beijing
6: so what about countries like Slovenia that want to improve ties with Taiwan? Do you think that they will be intimidated by China? Well, I think Chinese uh, intention
7: or Beijing's intention is clearly by treating Lithuania as it does and by using economic coercion against Lithuania, the message was to send the message to other countries who might share Lithuania's concerns that, there are consequences for any European member state that does something that in China's perception it goes against Chinese national interests. So the concerns that Lithuania has when it comes to China in terms of um, lack of reciprocity, Chinese influence inside the EU, uh, using this information to undermine democratic governance, and all those instances where uh, Chinese influence has had an impact on European cohesion and European unity is what pushed Lithuania to act. Lithuania is not alone in this. Slovenia, as part of that same 16 plus 1 cooperation framework, Slovenia has also shared the concerns that Lithuania has expressed. However, it has not yet gone as far as Lithuania. Of course, uh, everyone's watching carefully inside the EU, because whatever China does inside the EU in one of its member states, it has implications for the European Union as a whole. So I believe that there will be more coming in terms of more messages of support and solidarity. And I think the EU is getting ready. What unfortunately we've seen so far is that because we don't have that toolbox uh, ready to open and use effectively. We have had to take longer, and that time has been to China's benefit to use this information to go further, to escalate further. But right now, I think we're reaching a point um, already almost, we're going to be in about a year since this started to unfold, because it was in May 2021 that Bill News, made its announcement to lead the 17 plus one and expand ties with Taiwan. So I think, as with everything, and often is the case with the EU, because we're such a large organization, international organization, and, and group of sovereign countries where decisions need to converge in order to make a move on the European level. It takes time, but I believe that there is a strong enough will and readiness between member states to work together to protect their interests and to stand strong and not allow Chinese coercion to divide them. Because economic coercion from China can be considered successful when it divides the EU. I mean, that is ultimately Beijing's idea. It is to really push forward its political agenda. And the more divided the EU is, the better for Beijing. So I think this is something that member states are understanding at this stage, And this is why they are willing to work together. The Parliament Council will need to work and speed up its work on the anti-coercion instrument. And we will need to see in the coming months progress on that front that will send another message to Beijing that now we have tools to protect ourselves. We can restrict access to Chinese companies because so far our market has been very open and Chinese companies have benefited from that and Beijing has benefited from that as well. So for the future, I think we will see the European Union strengthen its cohesion and that will give member states, protection in the face of economic coercion with Chinese characteristics. This is what we're seeing. Difficult to detect, and European Union needs to have that resilience to understand Chinese coercion, uh, coercion with Chinese characteristics, and it needs to have the tools to do that.
6: That is Dr. Zhu frenzi an EU-China expert based here in Taiwan as a guest lecturer at National Donghua University. Dr. Frenzi is also a former political advisor at the EU Parliament. Next, she tells me if she thinks other Central and European states will continue to engage Taiwan, even as they see the pressure China is putting on Lithuania.
0: Naroa. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International.
6: You're listening to Taiwan Today and I'm Natalie So. China has been putting tremendous pressure and economic coercion on Lithuania for engaging Taiwan. Now, Lithuania isn't the only state in Central and Eastern Europe to engage Taiwan. We've seen greater engagement from the Czech Republic and Slovakia. The today, day, I asked Dr. Zsuzha Ferenzi, who is an EU-China expert based here in Taiwan at National Donghua University, if she thinks that these states will continue to build closer ties with Taiwan, even as they see China put trade embargoes on Lithuania.
7: I believe so. I believe that other member states in Central Eastern Europe, they have already illustrated that they are friends and they want to be friends with Taiwan and that they have serious doubts of uh, further cooperation with China. Their trade cooperation with China has been minimal. Some of these countries, uh, such as Slovakia, uh, even Slovenia, have benefited the least from the 17 plus 1 cooperation. And I expect that there, because there is more visibility uh, inside these countries of Taiwan. So Taiwan in the past two years with the pandemic has really managed to um, improve its visibility and its profile inside these countries. And I think uh, this is paying off. However, it will require this continuous effort and work to maintain the momentum, to find further areas of cooperation, or to build on what is already happening in terms of uh, cooperation between universities, cooperation between cities and people, and even small things and small exchanges of, say, as it happened, sweet, Th- Lithuanian, Taiwanese sweets in exchange for vaccines.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, this has created a lot of goodwill and also lasting connections. And I think these things are just as important to shape the perception that people have in Central Eastern Europe of Taiwan. For many years, I mean, for all this time, China has dominated the perception in across the EU that China has become and was seen as this big economic opportunity, and Taiwan was never really considered as a relevant player. Of course, this has changed in the past two years, and even more so intensified by the pandemic and, and China's uh, behavior throughout the pandemic. So changing perception is important. It is already happening, and I expect this to continue in the near future.
6: That's great. Oh, I also hear that this is the last question, um, that MPs from England will be coming to Taiwan soon. So how significant is that? Yes, that that is great news. I think it will follow the other European delegations
7: uh, in a very nice and uh, effective way to keep sending that message. As I was explaining earlier, it is very important to send a message to Beijing that what member states choose to do with Taiwan in terms of cooperation is their right to do. And I think the more visits we have from Europe, whether it's European institutions or member states, whether it is on disinformation or on general cooperation or on trade and investment or on education and science, it all helps shape this uh, message and narrative that uh, European countries, including the UK, have a sovereign right to cooperate with Taiwan and this is something that they can decide. So it will help definitely give more visibility to Taiwan and also to strengthen the international alliance that supports Taiwan of like-minded partners. Because often when asked what is the biggest challenge that Taiwan faces in the future, the response is, well, it's the existential threat that it faces uh, from the People's Republic of China. However, I I also think that there is challenge in maintaining the international community's willingness and cohesion to stand with Taiwan. We've seen countries joining and this alliance strengthening. We've seen it at the level of national parliaments. We've seen it at the level of government. But I think this needs efforts and conscious efforts to maintain and to sustain it in order to not let Taiwan. Stand alone in the face of China.
6: Well, it's great to see this uh, concerted effort from uh, European nations and also individual countries reaching out to Taiwan. This is great for Taiwan. Good news start of the new year, I guess. <laughs> yes, very good news. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Zhu for speaking with me again. My
7: pleasure. Thank you for having me.
6: That is EU-China expert Dr. Zhuzha Ferenzi, who is based in Taiwan as a guest lecturer at National Donghuang University. She's also a former political advisor for the EU Parliament. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So.
2: Hi, I'm Leslie Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash rtienglish to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International.
5: Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Shirley Lin, bringing you some reports from Taiwan in the past week or so. And this first one here is talking about a new subvariant of the COVID-19's Omicron strain has been identified in Taiwan. Of course, other countries have done so too. Um, so growing numbers of infections among the young uh, in schools may mean that the spread of the pathogen will become more difficult to contain. Tomasz Kopeala has this report for you.
4: COVID-19 keeps evolving as it spreads through populations around the world. Taiwan has recently reported a cluster of cases of unknown origin centered around the port of Kaohsiung. Testing has revealed a connection between those infections and a new subvariant of Omicron BA2. The Dean of National Taiwan University Children's Hospital, Huang Limin, says that the appearance of infections means that the virus is already present in the community. He says the subvariant seems more infectious than Omicron, but it's uncertain by how much. This latest wave of infections also seems to spread more readily among younger age groups than was the case in the past. Most of those infected in January were under 50, with a relatively high proportion of young adults and children. Fewer serious symptoms are associated with infections among the youth, but that also means the spread of the virus is harder to contain. Toxicologist Zhao Mingwei says that transmissions in places like kindergartens are impossible to contain. He remains ambiguous, however, on whether this is a cause for concern. It is also still too early to determine whether the COVID virus can be treated as endemic. Dr. Huang says that treating the coronavirus as endemic will require time, and he doubts it will be possible anytime soon. Professor Zhao says that in order to treat the virus as endemic, the mortality rate needs to be low. He says Omicron's mortality and side effects remain a serious concern to the unvaccinated. Professor of Public Health at National Taiwan University Chen Xiaoxi says that in order to control the spread of the COVID virus, it is important to try to minimize the number of asymptomatic patients and deploy large-scale rapid testing. Tomasz Kopper, RTI News.
5: In this next story by Stash Butler, it talks about our vice president, Thomas Lai- Vice President Lai De, who went to uh, attend the inauguration of the Honduran new president and uh, how he made a stopover in Los Angeles. Let's have a listen to that report.
0: A plane comes to rest at LA International Airport with a VIP on board. Taiwan Vice President Lai Qingde. On hand to welcome him are Taiwan's U.S. Representative Xiao Bi Kim and the chairman of the American Institute in Taiwan, James F. Moriarty. Stepping out of the plane, Lai waves for the cameras. Honduras' consul general in L.A., Maria Fernanda Rivera, greets him with flowers. And the welcomes don't stop there. A crowd of local Taiwanese residents is waiting outside Lai's hotel, waving flags enthusiastically. Some of them say they woke up at 3 a.m. to be there. To avoid spreading COVID, there's no handshaking. But the crowd gets small gifts as a token of gratitude. One man says he's disappointed Lai won't host a banquet with local Taiwanese, but he understands that COVID means the event can't go ahead. Lai faced protests by local Chinese last time he was here, but at least one Chinese person supports his visit. He says Chinese people have faced long years of oppression. It's only a brief stopover, but Taiwan's vice president is enjoying a warm welcome in the Golden State. Stash Butler, RTI News.
5: A Taiwanese biomedical company has launched a computer chip that's designed for rapid test of COVID-19. Stash Butler also has this story for you.
0: COVID-19 lateral flow tests roll off a factory production line. It's these, alongside antibody tests and PCRs, that form the backbone of the global diagnostic system. But they have their drawbacks. Rapid tests are, of course, rapid, but antigen tests sometimes produce false positives and false negatives. Antibody tests only work towards the end of infection, and PCR tests normally take at least an hour and a half to produce results. A new innovation from biomedical firm Molson Tech aims to address all those issues. They call it a COVID-19 rapid testing chip, and it's small, fast, and accurate. The whole testing process takes about 25 minutes from start to finish, and the chip catches almost 97% of positive cases. In practice, the only positive cases it misses are ones where the virus is at a barely detectable level. Molson Tech CEO C.J. Zhu says that the test will normally sell for around 110 U.S. dollars. But with the Taiwan government subsidy, the company hopes to give hospitals a discount of at least 40 percent. Molson Tech worked alongside the National Applied Research Laboratories, Academia Sinica, and the Kaohsiung Veterans General Hospital to develop the chip. The device has already got emergency use authorization from Taiwan health authorities, so it's set to go on sale in February. The next step, bringing this piece of potentially life-saving kit to the rest of the world. Stash Butler, RTI News.
5: This next report was just before the Lunar New Year holiday, and it's about how Taiwanese people were scrambling the last minute to get all the things they need for the nine-day-long holiday.
4: Throngs of shoppers hoping to buy Lunar New Year goods descend on Jianguo Market in Taizong. Navigating the ebbs and flows of the crowd, shoppers are trying to get all the necessities before the New Year break. For most, it's food that is going to be cooked and enjoyed with family over the holidays. For vendors, on the other hand, this means non-stop work greeting customers and introducing the goods. The vendors say there are one and a half times more customers than before, but they are expecting even more over the weekend, just before the holiday break. Higher demand also means higher prices on certain products, like meat. Customers however don't seem too concerned with supply and demand dynamics and pay asking prices to get everything they need. The usual pre-holiday crowds were also spotted at a famous souvenir shop in Miaoli, which sells snacks and small gifts for the new year. Some shoppers fill up a single shopping basket, others need several. One customer spent close to 300 US dollars, while another came two days in a row to get an ample supply of his favorite snacks. The shop says that due to the COVID pandemic, it has seen fewer customers so far, but the numbers are steadily increasing. Crowds of customers might be a COVID risk, but they are also a blessing for business owners whose bottom lines were affected by the pandemic. Tomasz Koper, RTI News
7: you are listening. 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 listening.
0: You're listening. You're listening to Radio, Radio Taiwan International. From Taipei
5: Taiwan. With the long nine-day Lunar New Year holiday that we had, well Tawni's health authorities obviously had to remind people about observing COVID-19 rules, I bring you this story. The Lunar New Year holiday is a time to get festive and feast together. But while COVID-19 pandemic is ongoing, people still need to follow rules like washing their hands frequently and keeping social distance. Health Minister Chen Shuzhong says whether it's traveling home or getting together with friends, people should try not to get too close to each other. That is, they should maintain social distancing. Authorities are also advising people who haven't been vaccinated yet to do so quickly for their own safety and the safety of senior family members. People are also advised to keep their masks on around vulnerable elderly people and to avoid crowded places. As to what's a safe number of people for a dinner gathering, everyone has different interpretations. One woman says not more than 20. Another says about 5 to 6, not more than 10. One doctor says it depends on the size of the venue. He says ideally the space should be big enough for everyone to maintain a social distance of 2 meters from each other. He also says to make sure the venue is well ventilated. He says as long as social distancing is observed, people generally don't have to worry too much. The Lunar New Year is a time for seeing family, but health authorities say that safety has to be the first priority. We've got good news concerning the quarantine period for incoming travelers uh, during COVID. So uh, health authorities in Taiwan are considering cutting the quarantine period from two weeks to 10 days, from 14 days down to 10 days. But a lot still depends on whether or not Taiwan experiences a spike in cases following the Lunar New Year holiday, that means now. Well, Stash Butler has the details for you.
0: It's back to the office for Taiwan's workers after the Lunar New Year break. But after all those family gatherings, the NUI of the 9-to-5 masks the fact that now is a make-or-break period for Taiwan's fight, control an Omicron outbreak. CMU Children's Hospital's Dr. Huang Bin says that the COVID-19 Omicron variant has an incubation period of about three to four days. That means 70 to 80 percent of infected people will show symptoms within a week. Huang says that if cases don't spike in the next two weeks, Taiwan should have the virus under control. Right now, incoming travelers face 14 days quarantine upon arrival but Huang says that could drop to 10 days in March or April. And National Taiwan University Professor of Public Health Chen Xiuxi says quarantine could become even shorter. Chen says authorities could cut quarantine to five days by June if case numbers start trending down around the globe in the next few months. But he says Taiwan would need some time to prepare for that. The main form that preparation would take is making sure people have had their third dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Authorities could also ban indoor dining for unvaccinated people. But for now, nothing's set in stone. And as experience shows, a few months is a long time during a global pandemic. Dash Butler, RTI News.
5: One of the more recent news is that Taiwan is finally lifting the 11-year ban on food imports from five areas in Japan that were affected by the Fukushima nuclear disaster back in 2011. So let's have a look at that story from Emma Benek. Taiwan and Japan have a friendly relationship when it comes to admiring each
1: other's tourist attractions and delicious cuisine. However, the issue of importing food from Japanese regions affected by the Fukushima nuclear disaster has caused friction between the two countries over the past decade. Taiwan's decision to lift the ban on Fukushima imports is the result of years of research conducted by experts around the world. Inspections led by the National Taiwan University College of Medicine have concluded that any traces of nuclear radiation are negligible and there's no cause for alarm. According to international standards, a person's annual exposure to radiation should not exceed one millisievert. NTU research concluded that people would be exposed to less than three one-thousandths of that from these Japanese food imports. NTU professor Jiang Zhigang says that the chances of contracting cancer from this amount of radiation exposure is one in ten million. On the other hand, Taipei Changgeng Hospital's Clinical Poison Center director, Yen Zhonghai says that he's still concerned about radioactive residue from these food imports. He said that the half-life of various radioactive substances can be up to 30 years, and only 11 years have passed since the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Some say that any products that contain food from these radiation-affected areas should be clearly labeled for consumers. Only time will tell whether Taiwan shoppers will be willing to purchase these items or leave them untouched on the shelves. Emma Banak, RTI News.
5: And that's it for this week's news playlist. I'm Shirley Lin. I'll see you next week.
6: Thank you for tuning in to radio taiwan international taiwan's national broadcaster we hope you enjoyed our programs you can catch all of our latest news audio and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw again go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news videos and programs about taiwan if you like to hang out on social media rti is there too our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at radio taiwan underscore eng and if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone just download our app rti2go that's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news videos and programs that's rti2go if you're a shortwave listener we have two channels in asia for south asia tune into 6100 kilohertz from 1600 to 1700 utc To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kHz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International.